Welcome to the Contextual Safeguarding podcast. My name is Carleen Fermin, and in this podcast today, I'm speaking to Kahal Ryan, who um, works at Hackney and Children and Family Services about their extrafamilial risk panel. Uh, during this podcast, we will explore what the extrafamilial risk panel is, why it was developed, and how it's being used in Hackney as part of their contextual safeguarding approach. The protocol for the panel can also be found on the Contextual Safeguarding Implementation Toolkit for Hackney. So thank you for being here with me today. Um, So the first thing I'd like to ask you really is why have you established an extra familial risk panel in Hackney? As part of the Contextual Safeguarding project within Hackney, um, lots of good work was happening around improving practice, developing ways of analysing cases and proposing different methods of intervention. One of the things that interested me was to help develop a structure within which good practice could occur, in my view. The, be- the basis for starting is should be um, how do we best prevent serious harm mm. or death. Mm. Um, mm. That was the approach I took when managing Hackney's domestic abuse service some years ago. Um, and it was that approach that prompted a redesign of, for example, the Marac um, mm-hmm. uh, meetings which deal with high-risk domestic violence cases. So with that in mind, um, I thought it useful to build on the good work that had already been happening within our FAST front door team around tracking cases and to, to say, encompass good practice and have a process by which cases of young people who are either at risk of experiencing harm outside the home or who are known to be experiencing harm outside the home, and young people who are known or at risk of causing harm outside the home, a place whereby those cases could be heard in a multi-agency setting, and where actions could be agreed and conducted and reviewed um, to reduce the risk. Um, In my experience, the best way to prevent serious injury or death is for systems around young people and within organisations to be as joined up as possible, for information sharing to be easy um, and non-bureaucratic, for agencies to be acting in concert rather than in silos and to have um, a kind of very action-oriented way of intervening to to sort of prevent harm. And so um, in terms of your objective for setting up this group, did Hackney have meetings that were already in place that were trying to do some of these things? And yes. um, why did you think that they weren't doing yes, that? Very much so, yeah. So there were there were um, a number of different streams in Hackney. So for example, in terms of child sexual exploitation, we had MAP meetings um, for young people identified as being at risk of harm. We had young we had MAP meetings for young people thought to be engaging in harmful sexual behaviour. We had the gangs panel um, pathway for young people at risk of gangs. Um, we didn't have an established pathway for young people at risk of criminal exploitation. They were managed on a kind of case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. So because young people will often inhabit different f- systems um, themselves, but also that within those systems they will experience different types and levels of risk um, which overlap, it was, well, it was my view, and it was a view the organisation shared, that it would be better to bring all those different streams together 
um, and thus have one simple process for young people at risk of harm, uh, either causing or experiencing harm outside the home. Mm-hmm. Um, to a young person who today is at risk of sexual exploitation in her school context mm-hmm. could in, in some weeks' time be at risk of engaging in criminal exploitation um, in a local youth club, yep. for example. So the system should be flexible enough um, and holistic enough to address all the risks at all levels, at all times, in all settings. Wonderful. And so this panel ultimately replaces those siloed structures that you have Yes, very much so, yes. So the agencies who were were involved in those different um, structures and some other agencies have been brought together. So the panel itself uh, meets weekly. It's chaired by myself or my colleague uh, within Children's uh, Children's Family Service. It's co-chaired every week by the police also um, from our child exploitation team with a face within the East Fuller Borough Command Unit. We have representatives from the local education authority, from the health service, from our integrated guidance unit, um, from different parts of the children and family s- service system, so Young Hackney, Contextual Safeguarding Team, and I myself obviously and my colleague are from a statutory social care background. We hear cases referred into the panel. The person who's made the referral should, when making the referral, undertake where possible peer map, a peer mapping exercise and a location mapping exercise, preferably with the young person um, or their family. They should, at the point of referring, also be ready to take action to reduce the risk between the referral and the panel um, here in the case. The referrer comes to present the case. Um, the permanent panel members have cited the paperwork in advance, so they should be well briefed and have conducted research within their own agencies um, before the panel meets. The cases tend to take around 30 minutes if it's a new case um, to discuss. We try, in as much as possible, to focus on the extrafamilial issues. Uh, particularly any contexts that are identified as being of concern within the referral. So we've commonly um, taken away action from a case discussion, for example, um, to look at and address issues within a school setting where, for example, a girl's experience of how she's been responded to in terms of um, arguably a culture of sexual sort of abuse um, by, by boys within a school how that's been addressed and um, we can we've then sometimes taken actions to do work with the whole school around that and um, so not just keeping that girl safe but hopefully keeping the other girls and boys within the school setting safe we take actions obviously to keep individuals safer and they're primarily led by the allocated social workers or um, young hackney workers and um, we also though seek to address both all parts of the system of risk so not just working with the young person about their actions and those of their family but also those who are causing them harm so um, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll identify actions for perpetrators and for adults who are being exploited for as I said locations within which harm is happening and we'll seek to address in a systemic holistic way all of the risks pertaining to that young person we also, through the panel, commonly will identify other young people who haven't previously been flagged up as being at risk of extrafamilial harm, and we commonly then take actions to screen and intervene with those young people as needed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we take quite a broad approach, because I think that only through taking a broad 
approach do we address all aspects of the system and which is harm where needed for all young people. So can you just give me a sense of some of the steps you needed to take to set this panel up? Yes. Um, so when I became involved with it, uh, one of the first, in terms of taking on the task, um, I'd already been involved with some of the contextual safeguarding work streams um, within Hackney. I liaised first with our first access and screening team. Um, and my colleagues there had been leading on improving the way in which young people at risk uh, were identified and tracked and mapped. Um, I also liaised with our health colleagues, education colleagues, colleagues within police, um, colleagues within our community safety team to get a sense from them of what were the issues for them and what could they bring to any um, any sort of more streamlined version of addressing these concerns. The way in which I drafted the, the actual protocol um, was quite simple. Um, because of the commonality of issues in terms of harm reduction, I based it on the MARAC protocol that I'd created some years ago mm -hmm. when managing the domestic abuse service. Um, because it has similar things in terms of multi-agency working, being very interventionist, being very focused on prevention of death and serious injury. That was the basis for the template. Um, then after drafting the template and having some internal approval, then it was circulated to partner agencies. Their feedback was obtained. We made amendments as needed. Uh, it was sent again. We received a bit more feedback. Um, one of the, some agencies had queries about moving towards a more um, streamlined process and, and getting rid of previous numerous work streams into one work stream. Um, for example, within the police, um, there were questions about how their existing structures through which they delineate some high-level sexual exploitation and some medium to low-level sexual exploitation, how that would work in terms of our panel, but they got behind the process mm -hmm. and um, I think they've been quite happy with it since. Um, some of the feedback we've had from practitioners so far is that they find it useful um, in that previously MAP meetings um, had to be convened by the social work unit. They were chaired by an independent reviewing officer and after that the social work unit would have to reconvene them as and when necessary and do all the invitations and so forth. Um, this process has replaced all that so we centrally timetable everything, we centrally do all the invites, we share all the information, we put it on the children's files and so it's quite it's a bit easier for practitioners and it also obviously helps avoid drift as well yeah. on cases so yeah so back to the question about how we did it yeah so we drafted drafted the protocol shared it got feedback and then we implemented it um on the 14th of november we had a test run we have been having the panel weekly since then and um, we're due to review it more comprehensively as a multi-agency partnership mm -hmm. in a few weeks uh, now that we've reached the three month point um, and we have also, in the first couple of months, we were meeting as a smaller group almost weekly um, just to iron out any issues that were arising um, and try to address any kind of quality control issues. And so what were some of the quality control issues that you had to think about once you started implementing um, things? What, what we found was, so some of the things we had to address were agency participation. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite a big ask. I think of agencies to meet weekly, um, so not all agencies were able to give that time consistently, and um, so that was something that we at times had to address with other agencies, and just to make sure that where they couldn't attend, they would at least give sort of input into the panel. 
and that's largely worked, um, although it's something that we still need to review. Um, the issue of referral quality has come up sometimes, so mm -hmm. people aren't always very confident about what to put in their referrals. Mm -hmm. um, largely, they're, they're pretty good. Um, so what we've done is where we receive referrals that maybe aren't as clear as they could be, the panel coordinator can have a discussion with them and give them a bit of guidance about how to um, sort of improve the mm -hmm. referral. Um, and that's that's been successful. Um, we're very much trying also in the panel discussions to make sure that we're getting away from a habit that can sometimes happen where we're just talking about an individual and their, their whole history and instead looking at what's happening right now within different contexts and within groups and so forth. And I think that then encourages practitioners when talking to their peers about the panel how to do better referrals. So it's a, hopefully a self-reinforcing yeah. system of good practice. Yeah. Um, another issue, the, uh, the main issue that we've had and that we will be looking at again is the way in which the, the time, there isn't a lot of time between each week's panel mm -hmm. and that makes it difficult for agencies to conduct research in a sort of deep way and it can also make it difficult to get the minutes yeah. sort of circulated in time, uh, or sorry, circulated quickly. Um, so the reason for it being every week is to avoid drift. Mm. Um, so there's, there's had to be a bit of a trade-off. Yeah. And we'll be examining whether or not we want to continue weekly or whether we want to go to fortnightly mm -hmm. um, when we review the case mm -hmm. or review the panel more formally um, in a few weeks. So is there anything that you are able to tell us to give us a, a kind of summary, I guess, of some of the things that have been coming through the panel? And Yes, um, what we find is that so far, bearing in mind this is only three months in, so far the majority of our cases seem to be to do with gangs and criminal exploitation. Mm -hmm. um, sex exploitation has been the minority mm -hmm. of cases. Um, I think so far of all the cases discussed, 40% um, have been girls and 50%, or sorry, 60% boys. Mm -hmm. um, although it's worth noting that of the girls discussed, a large proportion of those have affiliations with some of the very boys who we've been discussing in terms of gang and criminal exploitation um, concerns. So we, we still find that sort of gangs and criminality seem to be an overarching mm -hmm. kind of theme uh, for a large majority of the young people discussed. What we have found as well is that we have often been able to act in terms of sharing information. So sometimes when we when the panel discussion has happened, the agencies haven't already been aware of information uh, until the panel and then have been able to, to take action quickly on it. Um, we've, I think, achieved good levels of coordinated intervention from our youth defendant team colleagues, our integrated guidance unit, um, children's social care mm -hmm. colleagues. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's generally seems to be working well. Mm -hmm. People who attend seem to, for the most part, have a positive experience of it. So if you were going to offer any advice to any other area who was oh, yeah. thinking about setting up a similar panel, are there any things that you would suggest that they think about when doing that? I think be bold and be determined to reduce bureaucracy. Mm. The worst thing that organisations can fall into is maintenance of the status quo, um, when in fact it's better to take a very simple approach, start with start with one's principles around harm reduction, mm -hmm. start with the idea of if we were to create an effective system to reduce harm and reduce death, what would it look like, um, and then build from there. Mm -hmm. 
And so how do you think the extra familial risk panel enables a contextual safeguarding approach? Because they're not the same thing. And I think that's important to note is that it's an extra familial risk panel and that's because that's the type of risk that's being discussed. Uh-huh. So contextual safeguarding is an approach to addressing extra familial risk. Yeah. In what ways do you think the panel really enables oh, the approach? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think it definitely enables it. Um, I think because we very much take the approach that we should start with the context and then work towards the individual rather than the other way around. Yeah. So we not only hear cases referred, for example, as groups, mm-hmm. but whenever we talk about an individual referred, we immediately start to look at their, associ- their associations and the risks around that, mm-hmm. their systems. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at routinely their education provision, for example, mm-hmm. and how safe or unsafe that is Great. for them and for others. Um, we routinely look at any locations that they're known to frequent, whether it be a youth mm-hmm. club or a, a neighbourhood area or around their place of residence, and we take actions to reduce risks there also. We can also, or, and we have done this, we can also, where a number of concerns are identified, for example, about a location, commission a context assessment mm. of that location. Mm. So um, that's happened on a number of occasions mm. where it's it's the information shared at the panel, maybe about one or two individuals mm-hmm. at the same time or through over different weeks, um, where we've identified a common theme and thought and decided, yes, we actually need to assess and intervene in that context. That's sorry, one of the advantages, which I should have said about having a centralised process, is that because the process is sort of held in one place, common themes that are happening for a number of different children are clearly identified, Mm. whereas before when they've been diffuse across a number of different teams within the uh, and services within children's family service it's it's been much harder i think to identify common threads um, and pull those threads together thank you that was extremely helpful thank you so much for giving us an overview of the extra familial risk panel in hackney and thank you for anyone listening to this podcast for joining us today thank you